Several weeks ago, we began a series entitled uh, Thanksgiving. It was really just uh, a series over the many reasons we have to be thankful for. But before you can really get into the reasons that you have to be thankful, you kind of have to diagnose that many of us more than likely struggle in one way or another with ingratitude. And that's a hard thing for us to admit, but the reality is God has done so much for us and been so good to us uh, that we should constantly sing His praises, and yet far too few Christians do. And the only reason for that is because in some ways, all of us are probably guilty of being ungrateful. Uh, so, Second Chronicles chapter number 32, let me say before we get started this morning... Um, I hope you understand what I was uh, trying to accomplish with those teenagers this morning. was not trying to call them down and make, embarrass them or anything like that. But it had gotten to the point during that service where uh, Brother Charlie had spoken to them several times. Uh, and they weren't really responding. In fact, when I called them down, they were doing the Macarena in church. So I uh, figured that was about the time when we ought to address an issue. And so I uh, hope you understand that. I was not trying to be unkind. I was not trying to... Uh, uh, just put them on a pedestal and say, we're never going to minister to you, we won't care about you. But, but really, if you're going to be in here, you might as, well, might as well listen to the Word of God. And so that's our philosophy in the youth department. And to be honest with you, it was just, like I said, it was the youth director in me. I mean, I wouldn't obviously do that to many adults, but uh, knowing those teenagers, having a relationship with them, it was a bit frustrating for me to see that. So I, I did what I did. Hope you understand that. If you have a problem with it, you can come to me and uh, we can discuss it. And we can probably still disagree on the issue afterward. But Second Chronicles chapter number 32, verse number 24. I want to speak to you about what in my opinion, or who in my opinion is, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history. He's actually king of Judah. Um, and the Bible even says he's one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. And yet we know very little about him. And I, I wonder why that is. Because the Bible actually speaks a great deal about him. And so in Second Chronicles chapter number 32, we'll start reading in verse number 24. The Bible says, In those days Hezekiah was sick to death. And prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. Now, I want you to remember that in the back of your mind, he gave him a sign. And we'll, when we go back to Second uh, Kings, we'll see what that sign is. Verse number 25, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. Now, it's so important for us to take a moment... And understand what that particular phrase is saying in Scripture. God had given him a sign. We'll discuss what the sign is in just a moment. But right now, the Bible has for us this phrase. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. How many Christians do you know who claim to be saved, which, by the way, is the greatest benefit that could ever occur in this world, knowing for sure that you're on your way to heaven, knowing that you deserved hell, but somehow God has fixed your problem and given you a home with Him for eternity. There is no greater benefit than that. But how many Christians do you know have been given that benefit 
And yet what they have done in response to that benefit does not seem to line up. God has done the most amazing thing that could have ever been done for them. And yet their life is not lived in such a manner that you would say, man, they're really really paying God back in a sense. They're really doing God a solid by living for Him that way. And yet most, most Christians, we, we have this benefit, and yet oftentimes our lives, like Hezekiah's, do not render again unto God according to the benefit that God has done for us. Verse number 24, we continue reading. The Bible says, For his heart was lifted up. Therefore there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for uh, shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels, storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and uh, coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance for God had given him substance very much. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. I want to read again verses 24 and verse 25 just so we understand before we flip back to 2 Kings what we're going to be speaking on tonight. The Bible says, In those days Hezekiah was sick to to the death and prayed unto the Lord and spake unto him and he gave him A sign. But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. Now take your Bibles back to 2 Kings chapter 20 and we'll see what this benefit is. I will point out to you that the Bible specifically says benefit. Now we read how successful Hezekiah's life was. He built him storehouses for gold and for silver and for all of his animals and all the wealth that God had prospered in his hand. And yet, the Bible does not use the word benefits, plural. It speaks of a singular benefit, one that supersedes the rest of them. And no doubt, we can say with certainty that all the blessings that Hezekiah had were from God. Say amen if you agree with that. God gives all good blessings. And, and if you believe that, then you're, you align with biblical teaching. Every good and perfect gift cometh from God. And so uh, all of those things were God's blessing and, and He made Him prosper. But when, when the Bible speaks of this sign, it uses the term benefit. Singular. Now we'll read in verse number, or verse number 1 of 2 Kings chapter 20, the benefit, this particular sign that God gave him. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And that agrees with exactly what we read in 2 Chronicles. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die 
and not live. Now, sometimes prophets have good messages. This would not be one of them. Hey, Hezekiah, make sure that everything in your house is in order. Make sure that everybody's good, everybody knows what's to happen after you die, because, Hezekiah, this sickness that you have is unto death. Verse number 2, Then he turned his face to the wall, and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass afore Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord. The God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. Now, if you've ever had someone tell you that they've received a diagnosis unto death, and you begin to pray that God would heal them, you were not praying a prayer in futility. You see, God does heal people. I believe that God is a great physician. I believe He has the power to heal. He has the power to raise up. And I'm thankful this week that I went and visited, I believe, uh, four different people in the hospital. And all of those people had just come through a situation and God was healing them at that moment. And I said in those hospital rooms, in every single one of them, I prayed a prayer and I said, God, we're thankful we live in a country where we have medical uh, technology, where our doctors are trained, and we can come to places like this and receive care. But at no point does our faith rest in these instruments or these, these folks' education. Our faith rests in you as the great physician. So if you've ever had a family member that's come home and said, the doctor told me it was uh, cancer and I probably only have a few weeks to live... It is not useless to pray a prayer to God that says, Lord, I know you can heal them. I know you can raise them up. And God had already determined in Hezekiah's life that he would die. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man in this particular passage did avail much. And God gave him 15 extra years of life. Say amen if that's good news to you. I was reading uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. You can't believe everything the guy says because he's not right on everything, but he is a very wise Bible student. And I'll say this about the passage. He, he mentioned that he had been diagnosed with cancer and he went in one day and was getting in the hospital bed and he was very, very, very weak. And the nurse pointed out and said, uh, Dr. McGee, are you sick? And he said, no, I'm just scared to death. And she began to laugh and And he received a letter from a friend while he was in hospital. And they said something like this. They said, Dr. McGee, we realize that you're probably ready to go home to be with the Lord. And and we get that you uh, aren't scared of it. And Dr. McGee was quick to write back and say, no, don't put words in my mouth to God. Don't tell him how I feel. I want to live as long as I can. Preacher has said many times, I don't mind going to heaven, but I don't want to be on the next boat out. And so... That doesn't show a lack of faith, I believe. It just really here, Hezekiah was a spiritual man, but he said, Lord, maybe you can uh, extend my life and allow me to serve you a little bit longer. And and that's what God does. The Bible says in verse number 6, And I will add unto thy days 15 years, 
And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. And they took it and laid it on the boil, and he, covered, uh, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward, by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Now, if you're not completely clear on what's going on here, he prays a prayer very similar to that of Gideon. He says, God, not only do I want you to do a miracle for me, I want you to prove to me beforehand that you're going to do the miracle. And Isaiah says, okay, well, here's what God's going to do. God's going to turn back time for you. You see, there was a dial. It was a sundial. And the, the reference is to the fact that God would move the shadow on the dial backward 10 degrees, approximately 15 minutes or so. And Isaiah or, or Hezekiah said, oh, it's no big thing to have him move it forward, have him move it back. And God not only heals Hezekiah here, but he turns back time for him. That's pretty cool. And Hezekiah is healed by God and given 15 extra years of life. Hezekiah was a great man. Let me give you maybe a hypothetical situation we can kind of identify with Hezekiah a little bit. What if tomorrow you had a doctor's appointment, you went into the doctor and the doctor told you that you were going to die very soon? Obviously, that would be terrible news, and nobody wants to hear that diagnosis. But what if the doctor were to tell you that? And then what if someone came in while you on, were on your deathbed and said to you that they could extend your life for 15 years under one condition? You would serve them. Well, I think most people would at least be interested in the proposition. Now we would probably like to know, well, what am I going to be doing in service to you? Uh, am I going to be your servant? What am I going to be doing when I serve? But, but really, it would be something that most of us would at least listen to. And that's what God does for Hezekiah. He comes in and he says, Hezekiah, I'm going to extend your life 15 years. I just want you to be the same man you've always been. I want you to continue to stay faithful to me. It's pretty miraculous that God does this for Hezekiah. I want you to notice a few things about Hezekiah tonight. Number one, he was a great man. Hezekiah was a great man. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter number 32, verse 27 through 28, we, we read it, so uh, we can look at it again if you'd like. But the Bible says, And Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor, and he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and precious stones, for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels. So you get the idea, he was a wealthy king. Go forward to verse 30, the Bible says, This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his works. When the nation of Israel was taken over by a very young man by the name of Hezekiah, it had just come out of several, several years of a wicked king's oversight by the name of Ahaz. Now, Ahaz exhausted all 
of uh, uh, Judah's resources in battle. Then he lost the battle. And then while he was in battle, the Assyrians betrayed him. And now they're fighting not only that enemy, but they're fighting their so-called allies. And, and that's the situation Ahaz left Judah in. And now Hezekiah has completely changed the course. He's now brought wealth and prosperity to Judah. And even in fact, the Bible speaks of a pool. What, what, what he did was he created an aqueduct and he brought it into or just beside the city there. It was a pretty remarkable feat. And everybody that would have been asked, if you would have asked, uh, what do you think of King Hezekiah? They would have said, oh, he's a great king. He's a great man. Not only was he a great man, but I want you to see he was a godly man. Now, in this world, I have known a lot of great men. Great men that were business savvy. Great men that excelled in in skills and uh, just uh, talents. But I do not want to be a great man. I would much rather be a godly man. Great men are a dime a dozen in this world, but godly men are much harder to find. Hezekiah just happened to be both. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, if you want to flip there, you can, you don't have to, but verse number 1, the Bible says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. He started when he was 25 years old and reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the son of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign and in the first month, the very first act he did as king, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Not only was he a great man, not only did he bring prosperity to Judah, he was a godly man. And in his reign, Judah saw revival. They saw restoration of the altar of God and of the house of the Lord. It was a great reign of a godly man. But I want you to see thirdly, he was a goal-driven man. 2 Chronicles chapter number 29, verse number 5, the Bible says, After he opens the house of the Lord, the Bible says, He said unto the Levites, Hear me, ye Levites. Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry forth the filthiness out of this place. In verse number 6, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, have forsaken Him and turned away their faces from their habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, to hissing, as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are captive for this. And now verse number 10, I want you to notice this. He says, Now it is is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Well, you've got to notice about Hezekiah is he was a man with a vision. Not only did he have a vision for himself, you see, he was a righteous man. He was a good man and a godly man. But he says, my prayer for Israel, my prayer for the nation of Judah is that we would seek after God and make a covenant with Him in our hearts that we would walk with Him that His wrath might be turned away from us. He was a great man. 
He was a godly man and he was a goal-driven man. And yet, he rendered not again unto the benefit that God had done unto him. Many of you have probably already raised children. I am in the process of raising them. We have Caitlin. She's growing up so fast, it's unbelievable. Um, then you, this morning we were on our way to church and Amy said, Caitlin looks old today. And I told Amy, I, I just began to ask her and I say, Babes, at what point in a woman's life does that turn from a compliment to an insult? <laughs> And she said, all I can tell you is don't you say that to me. (laughs) You see, our kids are growing up, and I'll tell you what we're trying to do is we're trying to teach them to be grateful. We're trying to teach them to be thankful for things that are given to them. Even if it's simple, maybe uh, Caitlin will say, Mommy, I want some applesauce. And, And Amy will go to the cabinet and she'll get some applesauce and we'll hand it to Caitlin what we have to instruct them, and it's like we're beating it into them to some degree, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Whether it's somebody getting an applesauce for them, whether it's somebody giving them a quarter to play a game, whether it's Paul giving them a peppermint after church, what do you say? What do you say? Because we want them to be grateful. I believe it's the parent's job to teach them very small lessons of gratitude so that it's much easier to recognize the large lessons of gratitude. What do you say? What do you say? My friend, my my question for you is, in what God has done for your life and the benefits that He's bestowed unto you as a child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. To the benefits that He has done unto you, Let me ask you, not in an insulting way, not in a derogatory way, not in a demeaning way, but we all ought to ask ourselves, what do you say? What do you say? Because Hezekiah had all the benefits that God could give him and he rendered not again according to those benefits. I want you to see five lessons from his life and maybe this evening we can look at it not from the perspective of someone who is already grateful, someone who's already arrived in this matter of thanksgiving, but maybe we can go back and and just put ourselves in the shoes of my children and the shoes of your children. And those days when you were having to say, what do you say? What do you say? Maybe we can stop viewing ourselves as some type of uh, really accomplished Christians, but maybe go back to the infant days and realize we've all got a long way to go and we, we all are still working on a lot of things. And as the song says, He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. So maybe we can look at it from that perspective and see five lessons from the life of Hezekiah. They'll be very quick, I promise. Number one, not alliterated, not even very sermonish. Here's the first lesson. There are some things in life that only God can fix. Hezekiah was sick unto death. Now listen, he had wealth, he had fame, he had prosperity, he had the respect of his peers, he had it all, but he could not fix this problem. There was not enough money he could throw at the situation. There was not enough resource that he could find. There was not a doctor smart enough. 
He was sick unto death. And there was only and this problem was just one that only God could fix. But aren't you glad that no matter what problems we face in life, we know a God who can fix every problem. Amen. There's just some problems that only God can fix. Here's the second lesson. I told you it'd be quickly this evening. Here's the second lesson. Not only are there only only there's problems that only God can fix. Number 2, the best of us the very best of us, are susceptible to becoming ungrateful. See, what we do is we read our Bible and we'll read about a guy like Peter. And we'll say, man, Peter really struggled with this. Peter really struggled with holding his tongue. Peter really struggled with not overreaching uh, with statements. Uh, 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 this guy really struggled with this issue. But what we have trouble doing is realizing that all Scripture was written for us so that it might apply to our life. When Peter screws up, God is trying to teach us through the mistake of Peter how we cannot make the same mistake. And when I look at the life of Hezekiah, I not only see a man who was great in social circles and great uh, with, with all the wealth that he had, I see a man who was very godly. In fact, the Bible says about him, so that after him, there was not a king like him. In other words, in the king flow chart, Hezekiah stood right next to David. He was as good a king as Judah ever experienced. I mean, he was the cream of the crop. And in his 29-year reign, he loved God and served God. And he fought many hard battles for God. Did you know the serpent, the brazen serpent that they lifted up in the uh, desert when, when all of the uh, uh, children of Israel being bit by the uh, serpents and they were dying because of it? Well, the brazen serpent that was raised up that had actually become an idol at this point in time. In fact, they were burning incense under this idol. And may that be a lesson to us that even good and godly things can become idolatrous in our life. Uh, by the way, Sunday school teachers, don't let your ministry become the reason you serve God. Let God be the reason you serve Him and you're serving Him in the ministry. Don't let uh, our thing become our reason. Make God the center of your life. Make God the center of every reason. And then find avenues by which you can serve Him. But this brazen serpent had become a problem. Could you imagine being the king that stepped up and said, we need to destroy that. I mean, do you know how many people looked at that with such tremendous revere? I mean, that was a representation of God working and with His children. And yet Hezekiah unashamedly said, this has become a problem. And he steps out on a limb, just fully charges a problem, removes it. He speaks to the Levitical priesthood and he says, guys, here's what we need to do. Y'all need to get right. You need to clean up yourselves. You need to clean up the house because the house of God is back open for business. I don't care what anybody before me has done. God's house is a place where we will come to worship. Hezekiah did all that. Hezekiah was a spiritual man. Do you hear the prayer that he prays to God? 
When God tells him that he's going he's gonna to be the, uh, uh, he's going to die here in Hezekiah with, with just sincere and, and, and unashamed prayer goes to God quite boldly, I might add, and says, God, don't you remember all those years of faithful service? God, I followed after you in truth. God, I've tried to live the life. Would you please help me here? I mean, he was a prayer warrior. Hezekiah on the Christian chart was as good as they get. And he didn't struggle with a, a lady on a balcony, sure. He didn't struggle with killing a man. He didn't struggle with jealousy. He didn't struggle with lying or numbering the people, sure. You know what his struggle was? Ingratitude. Even the very best of us are susceptible to this. Don't, don't be the Christian tonight that's like, yeah, I know they do. Don't be that person. Because while you're trying to cast out the beam in your brother's eye, you're forsaking the fact that you have a, a moat in yours. You're, you're neglecting the fact that you struggle with ingratitude. The best of us are susceptible to this. The word rendered not again, this uh, word here means to return or to turn back. Now, there's only two schools of thought on this. And this is, uh, I, I tried to research and I tried to give you a better answer than what I'm about to get you, but I couldn't. I couldn't find a commentary that, commentator that was authoritative on it. I searched the actual Hebrew language and I could not find the answer to this. There's either one of two things that to return or to turn back can mean. Number one, it is to return glory to its rightful place. In other words, the benefit was given to Hezekiah and he should have returned the glory and said, no, this isn't of me, this is of God. Or the second thing it can mean is this. He should have returned back and thanked God for it. At no point do we have a record that he ever does. You know who Hezekiah reminds me of here? The nine lepers. And we read that story and in the back of our minds, we're all guilty of it. We say to ourselves, I would probably be the one. I mean, after all God's done for me, he's, he's helped me, He's healed me. After all God's done for me, I just can't see me being one of the nine. Listen to me. Hezekiah was in the nine. And when I look at Hezekiah's life, I don't know how well I stack up against him. What I'm trying to get you to understand is even the very best Christian you know is susceptible to the sin of ingratitude. Number one we got to understand that there are some problems only God can fix. And I'm thankful that I know a problem-fixing God. Amen. Number two, even the very best of us are susceptible to ingratitude. Number three, ingratitude is produced, listen to me, by a spirit of pride. I want you to see in Second Chronicles chapter 32, this is not Brother Andrew making this up. Verse number 25 gives us the reason why he rendered not again according to the benefit that God had given him. We see in verse 25, the Bible says, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him for his heart. What are the next three words there? 
was lifted up. Pride had taken over in his life. In fact, what you would see in uh, 2 Kings chapter 20, if you read the entire chapter, you would see that there's an ambassador sent from Babylon. And they, they come to him and they say, King Hezekiah, quite similar to how the Queen Bathsheba came and saw Solomon in all of his glory. And, and they come and they say, can you show us the riches of your kingdom? And it's almost like Hezekiah probably didn't have time for a lot of stuff like this, but it's like he you know, scratched off just a segment in his schedule where he could walk these guys around and just kind of brag on the kingdom for a little bit. And he walks around and he shows them everything. And I mean everything, because when Isaiah comes and asks him about the situation, and he says, what have you showed them? (laughs) Hezekiah says, everything. (laughs) I mean, there was not anything that I did not show them. And yet, at no point is there a record that he ever returned glory unto God, or that he gave God thanks for it. At no point. Isaiah tells Hezekiah, that because of the pride of his heart and the fact that he had showed Babylon all of these riches, one day that was going to cause him problems in the future because Babylon was going to envy those riches and Babylon was going to come and take those riches and it was going to be his fault. Pride had built up in his heart. If you're going to admit that even the best of us are susceptible to ingratitude, okay, and say amen if you agree with that, even the best of us are susceptible to ingratitude. Okay, good. By default, you just agreed that ingratitude comes from a spirit of pride. Therefore, we can conclude together that if we're all susceptible to ingratitude, we are all susceptible to pride. Pride doesn't allow us to see clearly Pride makes us think that we are something of ourselves and something that stands alone. Pride makes us think that we are in and of ourselves enough to get through the day. But Proverbs chapter 11 verse 2 said, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. It's quite similar to my children. My wife will go to the grocery store uh, and, and she'll get this huge grocery order. She'll bring it home and we'll be bringing in groceries. And we have, you know, all, since we've had the kids, we kind of have like the kids stuff and then the parents stuff. Uh, You know, uh, Amy has her drinks and I have my drinks. Amy's are a little harder than mine, but uh, uh, Mountain Dew, I mean, that's as hard as it gets for Amy. But, uh, and then the kids have their drinks. I mean, they have the apple sauce or apple uh, juice and they have the orange juice and they have the healthy stuff that parents have grown up enough not to need anymore. Amen. And, uh, and then our kids have kind of their own snacks. You know, they have the fruit snacks. Bailey says it's super cute. She wants fruit snacks. Okay. That's Bailey's way of saying it. But, but we have, they have their own chips and they have their own stuff. And Amy's kind of compartmentalized all these things. But at the end of the day, Amy and I purchased these snacks. But it is unreal to me how quickly my kids will help get the groceries in. We'll put them in the uh, cabinet. Then the fruit snack box will be opened and they begin to fight over whose fruit snacks they are. 
And they'll say something like this. Those are my fruit snacks. Oh, I loved it last night. There was a bag of Doritos opened on the couch. Caitlin had opened them and put them there. Bailey walks over to them and Caitlin says, Bailey, those are my chips. Bailey looks at Caitlin, grabs the biggest Dorito out of the bag that she could find. You know, you have the cracked ones that aren't as good. I mean, Bailey found one of the only whole ones left and was like, you know, she had to like pry her lips open just to get this huge Dorito in her mouth. And the crunch just echoed in our home. And Caitlin just sat there and rolled her eyes. But they say things like that. They say, mine, mine. But you know what? They didn't purchase them. They didn't work for them. It was only because they have a mommy good enough to go to the store and provide it for them that they have them in the first place. You know what I heard today? Pride is a sign of spiritual immaturity. It's the infant stage of Christianity. Because children don't know how to be grateful. They don't understand the concept that somebody actually labored for that. Somebody actually went to the store, provided that, and give it, gave it to them. And they don't say thank you for the suppers that mommy makes or the, the snacks that mommy gets them. Why? Because they don't understand it. Christian, are we the kind of Christian that is so deceived by our pride that we think we've provided what we have for ourselves? God must view the, our lives the same way as we sit down here and fight over petty things. So this is my paycheck or this is my time with my family. This is mine. And God says, you wouldn't have any of it if I had to given it to you. But we are all susceptible to ingratitude. And ingratitude is produced by a spirit of pride. I want you to see, oh, well, let me read this verse to you and then we'll move on. Psalm chapter 10, verse 4. This is very important. Listen to this verse. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. Now listen, God is not in all his thoughts. A prideful heart does not have God considered at all. So, we see those things. Number four of five things. Number four, failure to give God glory angers the Lord. Again, I'm not making this up. I want you to see this in verse 25. The Bible says, But Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him. And what we do is we assume that ingratitude is not like one of the worst of the sins. We have this idea that some sins are better, some sins are worse, and we compartmentalized ingratitude as one of the lesser evil sins. And really it's irrelevant whether we agree with God's uh, uh, approximation of ingratitude or not. It's really irrelevant. But what we can all agree on tonight is God pours His wrath upon even His choicest of servants for this particular sin. Hezekiah had lived his life remarkably well. He had been the uh, beginner of a revival, if you will. God had done mighty things in his reign, and yet ingratitude creeped up in his heart. And what happens? God's wrath is poured out upon him. It doesn't matter whether you think it's bad or not. What matters is God thinks it's bad. 
And God gets quite angry at the sin of ingratitude. If you will, please, and if you have time, take your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. God takes pride and God takes ingratitude very, very seriously. Deuteronomy 8, verse number 10 you'll find that God is warning His children about becoming prideful over His blessings. Verse number 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 8 says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which He hath given thee. When thou art eaten and is full, you should bless the Lord thy God for the good land which He hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, and not keeping His commandments, and in His judgments, and in His statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten, and art full, and hast built goodly houses, and dwelt therein, and when thy herds, and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver, and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, there it was again, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, and to do, good, to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power. And the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them and worship, I shall testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish as the nations with the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. What God's concern was, is after being in the wilderness for 40 years, after being led by God's direction, after all the provision coming directly from God, they were wor- God was worried that they would completely forget about Him. In other words... Every single day in the wilderness, they had to trust in God. You know why, right? Because God provided the manna. God provided the water. Every single day. If they began to think that somehow this place in the wilderness uh, was... uh, uh, Somehow they were surviving out there on their own or they were self-sufficient... Every morning they woke up and had to go collect new manna was a reminder to them that God will provide for today and God will have to provide for tomorrow. And only on the last day of the week were they able to gather two days worth so that God was teaching them, every single day you will live by the provision of my hand. And he says, but here's the problem. You're about to go into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. You're about to go and as I've promised, I would bless you and you're going to overtake uh, 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 people in the land. You're going you're to start to see wealth that you haven't experienced in the last 40 years. You're, you're going to start to see blessing and prosperity that hasn't come your way. And he says, my concern is this, your heart's going to be lifted up 
and you're going to forget where all of the blessings came from in the first place. God gets angry at that. In fact, he says that uh, he would make them as the nations which they would wipe out, doesn't he? God gets angry. So, number one, there are some problems that only God can fix. Number two, the best of us are susceptible to ingratitude. Number three, ingratitude is produced by a spirit of pride. Number four, failure to give God glory angers the Lord. Number five, humility deters God's wrath and promotes gratitude in our life. It seems quite simple, but I want you to notice back in Second Chronicles, the Bible says in verse number 26, Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 26, Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. You know the remedy for pride? Humility. The solution to pride and therefore ingratitude is recognizing in humility that you aren't sufficient on your own. And that all these gifts and all these provisions and blessings come from God. The Bible says much about humility. Jesus said, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Isaiah chapter 66 says, To this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. What a lot of us need is a great dose of humility. We need to know that Humility allows us to see that these blessings that we have are not from ourselves. And what we need to do is we need to go back to a little wilderness living. We need to recognize that tomorrow is not dependent upon your salary. Tomorrow does not depend upon your ability to provide for your family. Your ability to survive tomorrow is the same way that the children of Israel survived in the wilderness Tomorrow, God will provide. We need to go back to wilderness living. That's humility. When we have to come to God and say, God, if it's up to me, my family cannot eat tomorrow. God, if it's up to me, my family will not be taken care of tomorrow. So God, I trust in you. That's humility. Saying, God, if you took every dime of mine away, if you, if you, you just... You just set me back all the way so that there was a clean slate. I would trust you tomorrow the very same way I trust you now. I trust in your provision, not mine. That's humility. A great king one day was very upset at the ingratitude that his royal court was showing. They would come to banquets. They wouldn't pray and give God thanks. They wouldn't thank him as the host of the banquet, so he became very frustrated and he decided to do something about it. One day he prepared a great feast for them all and he arranged in the middle of the feast to have a beggar come in from off the street. So right in the middle of this great feast, everybody was dining as they usually did and uh, they were all going on in conversation and out of nowhere, right in the middle of the feast, This beggar dressed in street clothes, he smelled a little bit, 
comes and sits down at the table. He begins to engorge himself on the bounty that is at the table. He's feasting and everybody's silent. They don't know what to do. They're waiting on the king to do something, but the king never does anything. The beggar finishes his meal after sloppily eating. He leaves the table and never speaks a word to anyone. As soon as he left the room, the people in the court, they began to question King, will you give us permission to go chase him down and and, and teach him something? King, he deserves punishment for that. The king just humbly said, He only did to an earthly king what you do to a heavenly king every day. You come to my feasts and you show God no gratitude. You do not thank me for the meal. He only did to an earthly king what you do to your heavenly king. Look, I'm not here today to make us feel bad about this, but I'm saying if we were honest with ourselves, we all are a little ungrateful. And we are certainly not rendering according to the benefit that has been done unto us. Remember earlier I asked you the question, if somebody came in and and said at your bedside, on your deathbed, and they said, I'll give you 15 extra years. What would you do? Well, we probably will never experience that. There's no snake oil. There's no magic pill that fixes whatever ailment uh, we are facing. But I will say this. When I was 12 years old, I went into the back room of a youth camp. And I prayed a prayer that sounded something like this. Dear God, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. Come into my heart, forgive my sins. I trust you to take me to heaven when I die. You know what that was? That was God giving me a new life. Up until that point, I had been laying on a deathbed, hadn't I? Up until that point, I was dead in trespasses and sins. There was no way I could please God. I wasn't even seeking after God. But that night, God came to my deathbed and He said, I'll give you a new life to live. But my question is, if you've experienced the same thing that I experienced that night, are you rendering unto God according to the benefit that He's done unto us? Because He showed us uh, that, that we're His children. He's given us a new life and a new hope in Christ. And the saddest thing that any Christian's life could be lived for is to be lived with temporal goals and and no earthly uh, uh, or just earthly gain and no spiritual gain, no eternal gain. The saddest thing is that your life would not render unto God according to the many benefits that He's given us. How are you doing on that? Because I would say, more than likely, most of us, in some small way, have not rendered according to. Not in proportion, not at all. 